Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. Uh, it's good to be with you today. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just good to gather with you to sing together and now open up God's Word. We're going to be in the book of Matthew as we have been for the last few months. And so if you need a Bible this morning, just a copy of God's Word, would you just raise your hand? We've got a couple of guys that would love to give you a Bible to read out of this morning. We want, to, uh, want you to be able to read along with us today uh, out of the book of Matthew. And so you can just keep your hand up till they find you this morning. Uh, and if you don't actually own a Bible, feel free to take that home with you uh, as our gift to you uh, today. We want you to have God's Word, not only today, but throughout the week as well. Before we open up and get into our text today, let's just go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and uh, are grateful for your grace and your mercy that we even were able to wake up this morning, uh, that we're able to be here today, that we were able to get ourselves here, uh, whether that was in a car that we own or through a friend or public transportation or walking, whatever it was, Lord, you just gave us the means to be here today. Uh, Father, I pray that wouldn't be lost on us, the significance of the gift of life each and every day to be able to breathe in, to come outside, to see the beauty of your creation. And so this morning as we come, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that whatever's been going on in our lives this week, that we would set those things aside, uh, not ignoring them, but really just bringing them and laying them at your feet knowing that you're a good father, that we can come before with everything in our lives. And Father, I know that there's, even in the life of our church, there's exciting things going on in in, in our personal lives. There's new babies being born, weddings that are taking place. But Father, at the very same time, there's difficult things going on. People struggling with significant sin and brokenness, broken relationships, sickness. But Father, we're together this morning as a family, under the name of Jesus, And so, Lord, I pray that we would come together today as a family and listen to your word, and may you use it in our lives to be effective today for your glory and for our good. And so we give this time to you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work today, that you would get to work in our hearts today and bring about transformation. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and just jump into our text this morning. So if you haven't already, flip open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses, reading verses 5 through 13. We looked at these verses last week, and so this is kind of part two in this text. And so I just want to read all of it uh, for us again this morning. Starting in verse 5, going through verse 13, this is Jesus' words to you this morning, church. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, I'm not a uh, 
I'm really big, big on going to the gym. Not a real big gym person. Probably not hard for you to figure that out. Uh, oh, I got a, I got a pity, a pity awe over here. <laughs> I mean, I worked out some in college, but then I stopped. I worked out some when we first got married, but then I stopped. And uh, there always just seemed to be something that got in the way of going to the gym, getting to the gym. And I, I started back up about two years ago, and I was pretty consistent going a few times during the week and starting to see some results. But then some things came up in life and in ministry, some significant things, and I once again stopped going. You know, one of the funny things about going to the gym, if, you, if you've actually, you're one of those people that's actually gone to the gym, uh, then, you know, one of the funny things about actually going to the gym is actually knowing what to do when you get there, right? It's one thing to get a gym membership, but then you actually have to show up and work out. And maybe you've seen some of those funny videos uh, where people are getting into workout equipment and have no idea what they're doing and uh, just gives a good laugh, right? But, we, but we've been those people, if we've gone to the gym, we're kind of looking around like, I'm just going to watch this guy and see what he does to know what I'm supposed to do. And, and that's been me. I don't have any background in weight training. I've never had a personal trainer or anything like that. The, the, the way that I learn what to do is by going with someone so they can teach me or show me what to do or just looking around and figuring out, well, what, what am I supposed to do with this particular machine? How much weight should I lift? I'm not as big as that guy, so probably shouldn't pick up that thing he has, but I look about that guy's size, so maybe this will work out for me, right? I mean, I, I don't know what to do, so I have to pay attention, You know, sometimes in our spiritual lives, and particularly when it comes to prayer, we can be very much the same way. We can approach prayer in our spiritual life, our relationship with God in the same way. We know it's for our good. We believe that we should do it, not just because someone told us to, but we really believe that if I come before the living God in prayer, that it's going to be a good thing for me to do. But so often something else gets in the way. And for some of us, simply, we just don't know what to do when we come to it. We're not, we're not sure what we're supposed to do when we come before the Lord in prayer. Last week, we looked at this text that we just read. We walked through the first few verses where Jesus, King Jesus, is, is teaching his people, his kingdom people, what life in the kingdom under the king looks like. And he begins to talk about prayer. And last week, we saw that prayer is not for show. It's not formulaic in nature, but prayer is about coming before our heavenly Father, Last week, we defined prayer as communing with God, speaking to God, listening to Him, Him speaking to us, hearing from Him. And prayer is fundamentally rooted in relationship. It's possible because Jesus has made a way. Jesus' Father has become our Father because Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sin. What separated us from God, He has remedied and rescued us so that we can come to God as Father. And just as God's word is not about you, but it is for you, so is prayer. Prayer is not about you, but it is for you. And I want you to hear that again this morning. I need to hear that again this morning because for for you and for me, I don't want prayer to be seen as or felt as duty in your life. I want it to be a delight that we really believe that we have the opportunity to come before the living God with anything and everything in our lives, that we would see it as an invaluable part of our daily lives. That it wouldn't be lost on us. That because, because of what Christ has done, we can come before our Father in heaven, the God of all creation with every aspect and detail of your life. There is nothing insignificant in your life that you can't bring before the Father in prayer. I mean, that's amazing. But I want it to keep being amazing for us. 
That even as we have routines of coming before God in prayer, even as we practice prayer in our life, as we're learning more about that, that it would never be lost on us that you and I, finite creatures, can come before an infinite God and He cares about the details of your life. And we get to do that each and every day until one day, by God's grace, we can stand face to face with our Father. See, something I think we need to understand about prayer is that prayer is a precursor and preview of eternity. It's a precursor and preview for eternity. Because in eternity, if we know Christ, we're going to be united with the Father in all eternity with Him, living with Him face to face, seeing Him. And so when we come to Him in prayer, it's a, it's a precursor, it's a preview of what we're going to get to do, enjoying that eternal fellowship with our good Father. Now maybe you're here this morning and don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. And maybe you pray, maybe you don't pray. Maybe you have prayed, but you don't currently pray. But my hope for you today, if that's you, if you find yourself in this place of maybe not knowing if God's real, maybe not really understanding or believing that Christ is who He said He is and did what He said He came to do, my hope for you today, though, if you find yourself in that place, if that's you, is that you will see the beauty of what it looks like for God's people to know and talk with the living God. And I hope that you'll get to experience that as well in your own life. Listen, Sojourn, I want us to be a church that is becoming and being molded and shaped into being a people of prayer that would mark who we are as a church, that we could identify all kinds of things about our church, that we're a family together, we're a community together, but one of the most significant things that we do together is that we're a people of prayer. I mean, prayer is all about expressing a desire to know God and be known by Him. At its root, that's what all prayer is about. It's, it's coming before a father, coming before the father as his child. And in that moment, understanding more of who he is in all his glory and the depth of his beauty and his majesty and mystery. And at the very same time, learning and understanding more about ourselves. Prayer before our heavenly father can be the most vulnerable thing in our lives if we allow it to be if we're willing to come before God, letting go of all pretense and pretending, believing that we don't have to bring something to God, we don't have to earn something from Him, we don't have to show Him that we are good people or that we did good things this week, we don't have to bring anything before Him, we can just come before Him completely exposed and real and raw and honest with our lives, every detail of it, believing that He truly cares for you and loves you. I think oftentimes in our lives, we can question God's love for us. Maybe because we have sin in our life. Maybe because we've been rebelling against God. Maybe because we've not really been walking faithfully with Him. Maybe because you're going through something difficult in your life right now. And you're just not sure about God's love for you because you can't understand right now in this given moment in your life why God might be allowing or doing something in your life. But let me encourage you and say something to you this morning before we really get into this text. If you ever doubt God's love for you, look to the cross. Because in the cross, what God says to you is that he loves you so much, so much, that he sent his son to die for you. He loves you so much that he sacrificed his only son to take on the punishment for your sin. Everything that separated you from God, he remedied for you in Christ. So when you doubt God's love for you, Look to Jesus. Be reminded of what God's done for you. Don't doubt God's love for you now. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. See, the enemy, Satan, whispers lies into your ear all the time, telling you that God doesn't care, telling you that God's aloof, that he's capricious, that he's vindictive, that he's moody, 
that you're not sure what you're going to get when you come before him. But that's not true. God is a good father who longs for his children to come to him. Even in the midst of your rebellion in your life right now, God longs for you to come before him. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean that God always gives you what you want. He is a good father, which means that what he is going to do is he's always going to work his will in your life for your ultimate good and his ultimate glory. See, God cares for you and loves you so much that he listens to you and corrects you like a good earthly father does with his son or daughter. So we have to understand the value and significance of the relationship we have that you and I can have through Christ with our Heavenly Father isn't contingent on or built on whether we are satisfied with how God answers us. It's not built on whether we think God's doing a good thing. What it's built on, the significance of it, is that He is ever-present and lovingly attentive to His kids. So in this text that we're going to look at this morning, that we're going to continue to walk through, what we see is Jesus doesn't give us a formula for how to pray. He doesn't just give us words that we're supposed to just memorize and pray those things. He's, he's painting a picture of how to pray and what to pray about. He's really giving a framework of praying. And so if we are going to be a praying people who pray in the way that Jesus calls his kingdom people to pray, then when we pray, we're going to pray for God's glory. We're going to pray for our good, and we're going to do so together. So that's where we're going this morning. Those are our three points. God's glory, our good, together. That's what Jesus outlines in this text. So where do we see this? If you're familiar with these verses, if you're familiar with this prayer, again, if you've grown up in the church, maybe you've memorized this, or maybe you haven't seen it in a long time, but it's familiar to you because you've been around the church for a while. If you've never been around the church, this is your first time. We're glad you're here. You don't have to know this. That's okay. We're going to walk through it this morning. But what we see in this text is really three different, two different sets of three requests. There's the first three requests, and those really are all about praying for God's glory. And then the second three requests are about praying for our good. So let's look at the first one, God's glory. These first few verses, starting in verse 9, Jesus begins by calling his people to pray, acknowledging God as our Father in heaven, and then making this request, hallowed be your name. Now, that's not language we often use in our, in our lives today, the word hallowed. For something to be hallowed, it means that it is revered and respected, it's consecrated, it's made holy or special. So here, Jesus is calling his kingdom people to pray that God's name would be hallowed. Jesus is calling his kingdom people to pray that God's name would be made much of. That his fame would spread. That all the world, every last person, including you and me, would see God as infinitely glorious and worthy of worship. Hallowed be your name is a prayer for God to work magnificently in us so that we might see him as magnificent and display him as magnificent in our lives. Now see, in Eastern culture, specifically this audience, Jesus' initial audience, he's talking to a primarily Jewish audience, which has a more Eastern way of thinking, very different than our Western way of thinking. In a lot of Eastern culture, particularly in Jesus' day, reverence for God and God's holiness and his glory were normal things to think about and pray about. They believe God to be transcendent, to be high and lifted up, to be mighty and awesome. But in our Western culture, we often have the reverse problem. Not seeing God as high and lifted up. 
Oftentimes we can be thankful for God's grace, but not often concerned with God's glory in our lives or in the world around us. So a prayer like this for us here in Fairfax, Virginia in 2016 is significant for us in the culture and the climate we find ourselves in. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, do we actually want this? Do do we want to pray for God's glory? Do we want to pray that God's name would be hallowed in our own lives as individuals, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our country, and in our world? Do we really long for that? That God's name would be lifted up, not our name. That God would be seen as great. Not that America would be seen as great or our culture would be seen as great. Hallowed be your name is a prayer that the world would know that God rules and reigns. Do we long for that? And if we long for that, it's a prayer that begins by God manifesting that in our own lives. God, may your name be hallowed in my life as I walk out of here today, as I go about my week this week. Are we praying, God, would your name be hallowed in my life? Would it be revered in my life? Jesus also calls us to pray, your kingdom come. We understand, we see this, Jesus is speaking these words, so the king has come, but the fullness of his kingdom is not yet present. The fullness of his kingdom is not yet here. And so we've talked throughout this series about the fact that Jesus is giving us a new humanity, a new way of being human, a new way of living as we come close to him. And so this makes sense for Jesus to call us to pray this way. Pray for your kingdom to come. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're we're praying with a yearning, a longing for righteousness and, and peace and joy for God to restore his world. Kingdom for Jesus means the society of God's people flourishing in this world under him as king. It's a longing for the fullness of God's kingdom to be present here and now in our lives, which only is going to happen when Jesus returns. So in some senses, when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus, I long for you to come back. I want you to restore and redeem everything in your world, all the brokenness that we would see it go away. And so this request of God in prayer goes along with Jesus' next one that he calls us to, praying for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, in the fullness of the kingdom of God, the perfect will of God is lived out. God's will, his plans, and his purposes, they're all perfect, and they're always for our good and his glory. And so when we pray for something like this, when we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're praying for is that God would work in us and through us, in our lives here and now, and that they might more completely conform to the reality of our heavenly citizenship. So if you know Christ, this is not your home anymore. If you know Christ, our citizenship does not, is not here. It's primarily in heaven. It's in the kingdom of God. And so when we pray for your will to be done on earth in our lives now as it is in heaven, it's saying, God, would you conform my life to my kingdom reality, the fact that I'm brought into your kingdom as a citizen of your kingdom. But something we need to understand here is that God's will is revealed to us in Scripture. So this isn't Jesus calling us to pray, God, I need to know your will. Would you show me what your will is? I don't understand what, my will, what your will for my life is right now. No, God's given us his will in Scripture. He's revealed his will to us in Scripture. And so when we want to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying, God, would you, would you lead me in this? Would you show me what your word says? Would you show me what life is to look like in your kingdom here and now in my life as a kingdom person? So in your life, when you're thinking about, God, what do you want me to do in my life? Maybe a better thing to pray instead of, God, what's your will for my life is, God, what's most glorifying to you? 
What's most glorifying to you? I've got choice A, choice B, choice C in my life right now. I'm not really praying for your will. You've you've shown me what life looks like in the kingdom. What's most honoring to you? What's most pleasing to you? What's most glorifying to you? See, the way Jesus teaches us to pray here for God's name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done, confronts every aspect of our fallenness and our sinfulness. And it places God in the rightful place as as God, the sovereign Lord over all things, and it places us in the rightful place that we have as his creatures, as his people, as his children. See, I think most of us are fine with even and think it's a good idea to pray for your kingdom to come, but if we're honest, we do that in accordance with our plans. God, I want your kingdom to come. Pray your kingdom to come, but can you just wait until after I get married? That'd be great. God, I want your kingdom to come, but can it just come after I graduate? After my wedding night? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. After I have kids? After I go on this vacation that I've been planning, I'm really wanting to go do this. Would you, I want your kingdom to come, God, but just, just wait a little bit until I do this other thing that I want to do. We can pray for God's will to be done, But in reality, what we're doing is we're asking God to bless our wills and make them his will. Instead of really believing and asking God, would you conform me to your will? Would you conform me to your will? So I think often we can be praying not for God's kingdom to come, but for our our kingdom, our personal kingdom to be protected and increased and blessed. That God would call what we believe to be good, good, instead of asking him what is good. So let me ask you again, do you have an actual hunger and longing for the kingdom of God and for the will of God in your life and in this world? Do you truly long for that? And a good way to assess that in your life is to look at your praying. If someone was observing your prayers, if they could hear what you were praying, if they came with you in secret and just were taking taking some notes, observing what you were praying, what would that reveal? Would it reveal that you long for these things? For God's kingdom and his glory or for your kingdom and your glory? I've given us this test before at at Sojourn, but I think it's appropriate to give it again here. If God answered every prayer you prayed this last week in the way that you wanted him to, what would change? Only things in, or things only in in the whole world or only in your life? If God answered Everything you prayed for and the way you wanted him to answer those questions, would would things change in the world at large or only in your world? It really reveals much about what we're praying about. And I think this is where many of us, if not most of us, struggle. We're, We're good at praying about our needs and wants. That's not difficult for us to do. When we're in difficult situations, when we're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do, when we have wants and needs in our life, we're we're okay with praying about those things. But what we struggle to pray for and focus on is praying for God's glory and for his majesty to spread through our lives into the world. See, I think something Jesus wants us to see and understand, though, in this is that praying for God's glory is for our good. Praying for God's glory is for our good. It's directly linked to it. Because through Christ, we're God's people. And through Christ, God is molding us and shaping us to be more like Christ. To see the jacked up image of God in us, what's marred by sin, has been destroyed by sin, to see that restored and made new and to become more like Jesus. 
See, God's will and ways, his plans and his purposes are always for your good, even when you don't understand what God might be doing at a particular moment in your life. Have you had those moments? I know I have where I'm struggling. God, what are you doing right now? God, I know you're about your glory. I know that you're about my good, but I'm having a really hard time seeing why this circumstance and this situation that I'm in right now, what I'm walking through, what I'm going through, how in the world are you going to get glory from this? How in the world is this honoring to you? And we can wrestle with that. I mean, that's real life. Things aren't always peaches and cream in life. It's not always nice and pretty. Things are difficult. We live in a broken world. But you know, the thing that gives me comfort in the midst of that, when I'm not sure what God is doing, is going back and believing what Jesus says, that when I pray for God's glory, when I pray for those things, that it is for my good. When I pray for God's kingdom, when I pray for his will and his glory in my life or in our church, and our world, I know who I'm praying to. My heavenly Father who loves me and loves his church and loves this world so much that he sent his son to die for it. See, the reality is if we only got our way in our timeline in the way that we want God to work, if God only conformed to our will through our praying, it would be disastrous. Disastrous. As one scholar says, our wills, the will of the world, will nail Jesus to the cross. But God defeated our willfulness, making it possible for us to pray that God's will be done on earth. See, when we pray for God's glory, it is for our good. And so Jesus calls us, he outlines that for us. We're praying for the glory of God. And that's our chief focus in that. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He gives us specific things and says, but I also want you to pray for your good, specifically he shows us that in these next few verses. He gives us three things to pray for. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is calling his kingdom people in the here and now as we wait for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come, as we long and wait for Jesus to return, to pray that our Father would provide for us, restore us, and lead us. And so it's good for us to come to our Father to ask him to provide for us. I mean, it's important what Jesus says here. He doesn't say like so many false teachers in our day today that we should pray for God to make us healthy and wealthy and happy. That's not what he's calling us to pray for here. He doesn't even call us to pray that God would make us comfortable. I mean, I think comfort is one of the biggest idols in our lives. Especially if we live in Northern Virginia. I know it's one of the biggest things that I struggle with, realizing that what I really want in life is to be comfortable. I want things to be easy. I want them to be easygoing. I want my life to be predictable. But man, that shows us that we're not trusting in God. We're trusting in our comfort and our circumstances. And so here we see Jesus calls us to pray for daily provision. Daily provision. Now again, you and I, for most of us in this room, that's something, that's something we think about. There's food at your house right now. And tomorrow there'll be food at your house. And the next day there'll likely be food at your house. And so I know some of you may not, that may not be your situation, but for most of us, that's the reality. And so we don't think about this, but many of our brothers and sisters around the world, this is a very real prayer for them. God, would you give me food today? Would you give me food tomorrow? And what Jesus is showing in this, us in this is that we can pray to our Father and ask that he would give us what we truly need, what we actually need. So that means that we can pray about anything 
anything in your life right now we can, believe, we can bring before the Father. And again, this goes back to the reality that because Jesus has made a way that our rebellion against God has been paid for and that by faith we are no longer enemies of God but now called children of God, God is now our Father. And Jesus told us back in verse 8 that he already knows what you need. He already knows what you need before you even ask him. This past week, we, uh, we had a leadership team meeting. Our leadership team meets every other week on Mondays, and oftentimes we'll eat dinner together before uh, or in the midst of our meeting, kind of at the beginning of that meeting. And so I, I ordered some food for us uh, online to go pick up at a, at a restaurant and bring to the meeting. And so I went online, and I picked out what guys wanted to eat and made any adjustments that needed to be made for particular orders. And I picked the time that I wanted to pick that food up, and I drove to the place, and I told them I had ordered food online. They Got it all together, exactly what I ordered, in detail. The thing I ordered, I didn't want onions on it. There were no onions on it. I told them that. They didn't put them on there. I picked it up, and I drove to our meeting and ate, and it was good. We had a good time together. Now, if I had done the very same thing, and I had thought, well, I'm going to get food, and I know exactly what I want in my head, down to the details. I know when I want to pick it up. And then I drove to that same restaurant, and I said, hey, I'm here to pick up my order. I said, well, did you place it online, or did you you call ahead? I said, no, it's all up here. It's right here. I mean, I know exactly what I want. I mean, it's, it's just right there. They would look at me and be like, sir, I'm, I'm sorry we don't have your food for it. I, you. I'm not really sure what you're trying to do here, right? <laughs> See, oftentimes I think, we can think that that's the way God operates. That, that, that he's like a short order cook, that we have to inform him about what we need. But no, God's not like that at all. He knows what you need before you even ask. Because that means, again, this is relational to the core. God is a good father. is asking you, longing for you to come before him and tell him about your life and what you need. And he knows exactly what you need. Asking him for your daily provision for what you need then is about coming again before the father. And so this serves as a reminder to us. It's a reorientation of our hearts that God cares for us. And that all good gifts come from the Father of lights with whom there is no shifting shadow. It goes back to who God is. I said last week the content of our prayer is linked to the depth of our understanding of the God that we're praying to. If we believe that God is all-powerful, that He's all-knowing, that He's all-wise, that He's ever-present, that He's our good Father, then we can bring anything before Him and pray to a providing God to provide for us. It's a declaration, an acknowledgement to God and to ourselves that we are completely dependent on Him for everything. But here's something you and I can't miss. We can't overlook, we can't downplay when we're praying for our good. The thing that you and I most need most consistently is restoration and renewal. And so Jesus doesn't leave our praying for our good just with our, our physical needs. He calls us also to pray for forgiveness. And we say here, he says, pray for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness for your debts. And debts is just another way that Scripture refers to sin, our rebellion against God, that we've stolen something from God, namely his glory. Man, we're great glory stealers. We want to make much of ourselves, not of God, and so we steal his glory in our lives, all throughout our lives. And so we have this debt to God, and so we pray that he would forgive us our debts, Now, he isn't talking about our initial forgiveness here. This isn't the first time when you've understood, when your eyes have been opened and you've gotten ears to hear and you recognize your need for Jesus and for the very first time you repent of your sin and you place your faith in Christ. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is ongoing repentance, ongoing asking of forgiveness. 
Because the reality is you and I still struggle in life. We still have sin in our life. Even though we've been saved from our sin, we still have ongoing sin in our life because Jesus hasn't completed, God hasn't completed that good work in us. We're a work in progress. But something we need to understand here is that when we place our faith in Christ, we are positionally made right with God. Our standing is secure. What I mean by that is Jesus has paid for our sin, past, present, and future. Our standing before Him is secure. But our stance before God can be altered relationally because we still struggle with that sin, our old self, and our old way of life. If my kids disobey, if they do something that they're not supposed to do, it might create a rift in our relationship because of their disobedience. But they are always my kids. That never changes. Nothing can change that. It's just the reality of our relationship. I am always going to be their father. They're always going to be my kids. They're standing. Our relationship in that way cannot be altered. It cannot be changed. Because they are accepted as my sons. And it's secure. It's locked down. But their stance, a rift and a distance can be created because of sin. That can change. The same thing's true with our Heavenly Father. Our standing is secure in Christ, but our stance before Him can change. So that, that relational rift can be healed, though, when we sin. But it's not by doing religious things. It's not by doing more good things to outweigh the bad things. It's not trying to come before God and say, I know I messed up, but let me show you why you should listen to me again. No, it's the same way it's healed as it always has been. It's believing the gospel and clinging to Christ because Jesus always will be the only way for us, our only hope in this life. So what Jesus is calling us back to here again is relationship. You will sin, but you can run to the Father. You can run to him, not away from him. Maybe some of you in your life right now are walking through deep rebellion. You're not walking in obedience to, to the Father right now. You know that your life right now is not evidencing the fact that what you care most about is God's glory, not your own. And oftentimes I think the enemy again speaks into your life and says, you can't go back to the Father. You've shamed him. You've spit in his face. You need to get this figured out and clean it up first because he knows you can't do that. You can't clean yourself up. You can't make yourself new. You can't renew yourself. But listen, that's a lie from the enemy. Your good father is waiting, so run to him. Run to him with everything and receive the grace and help you need in time of need because remember, Jesus has made a way. So no matter what you've done, there's nothing too surprising or too shocking for God he exists outside of time. He knows your sin, past, present, and future. And if you know Christ, it's been paid for in full. So run to the Father and pray for forgiveness. The Christian life is one of continual repentance and faith, continual turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. And so we, when we pray in this way, we're, we're, we're seeking to learn and acknowledge the fact that we need to be forgiven and made new. See, kingdom people pray for God to restore them over and over again in this life as we wait for the king to come again. And when we understand this and we pray for this, we're praying for our good because we're praying for the Father to make us more like his son. Now Jesus also says to pray that God would forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have debts against, that we have debts with in relationship. And I'm not going to talk about that today because in verses 14 and 15, he reiterates that. 
And so if you want to learn about what that he's talking about there, you can come back next week and Will is going to be preaching on that. So we're called to pray for provision. We're called to pray for restoration. And God also calls us to pray that he would lead us. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that we need to pray for God to lead us not into temptation because if we don't pray, he's going to. God does not tempt you. God does not lead you into sin. What he's praying for is, God, lead us. Lead us not into temptation, but lead us in a way of righteousness. Lead us in your ways, in your good ways. Help us not get caught up in a snare, to be ignorant about what's ahead of me. Help me to be aware of what's going on in my life. Make me and help me to walk in your ways. Don't let us go our own way. Don't let me be the captain of my own ship. I will shipwreck this thing. You're praying, God, would you lead me? I'm desperate for you to do that. Don't let me fall into the snares of the enemy and the evil one. Lead us in your ways, your everlasting, perfect, wise, and good ways. Maybe you've heard it said before that God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that's simply not true. God often gives you more than you can handle because it's a constant reminder to you that you are desperate for him. You are not your own. You were dead in your sin. And at great cost to the Father, he rescued you. You once were a slave to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. You belong to God. You are in need of him every moment of every day. And prayer acknowledges that. As one scholar says, prayer is the antithesis of self-dependence. Every time you go to the Father to ask anything of him, even acknowledging his glory, it's acknowledging the fact that you are not a self-sovereign. You are not self-dependent. You are desperate for him. Life is hard. I mean, can we acknowledge that? That Life is difficult. This side of heaven and the now and the not yet of Jesus' kingdom, life is hard. You and I struggle with sin. We struggle with direction in our lives. You struggle with pain in your life and suffering. Maybe some of you right now are suffering with disease or suffering with broken relationships or or suffering with infertility or, or suffering with loss of any kind in your life right now. But Jesus is giving a gift to you this morning. What he's giving you in this prayer is a prayer for broken people in a broken world. A prayer for people who long for renewal, for personal renewal, for communal renewal, for for societal renewal, for cosmic renewal and restoration. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 7 might also be a familiar verse to you or verses for you if you've been around the church for a while. But even if you've never heard these or you've heard these a million times, I just want you to listen to them now because in light of life, in light of the struggles that you and I have, and in light of praying to our Father who listens and cares, I want us to listen to these words this morning. The Apostle Paul says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul is saying here? He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't don't be consumed by your worry. Worry's real. Anxiety's real. But he's saying, bring that before the Father. Bring it before. Make those requests known to Him. Cry out to Him. Bring those things before him. And then he says, what's the result of that? He says, the peace of God, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, for the ability for you to wrap your mind around, to comprehend, God will give that to you and it will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say he's going to fix everything. (laughs) So he'll give you peace to know that the good Father listens to you and cares for you. And we can say amen to that. 
But do you know what the end of verse 5 says? Have you ever looked at this in Philippians 4? The end of verse 5 in Philippians 4, right before verse 6 starts, says this, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand, comma, do not be anxious about anything. And it's significant that when we pray in this way, we can have peace that passes understanding because the Lord is at hand. Because the King has come and we know and believe that He will come again. But until that day, we bring everything to our Father, all of our anxieties and worries, and in that receive peace. Peace that passes our ability to wrap our minds around. And in that, He will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus which means that Jesus is always central to your life. So do you truly know him? Not know about him, but do you truly know him? Do you recognize how desperate you are for him? See, everything that Jesus outlines here in our praying is an expression of something we could call a gospel ache. It's an aching and a longing for the full story to be complete where God is all in all. So we can pray, yes, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my life and in this world. We can come and pray for God's glory and we can pray for our good. But before we close out our time, I want us to also recognize something else, that we're called to do this together. And we are so individualistic in Western culture. We pride ourselves on our individualism, that we are self-made, that we've accomplished many things. We, we pride ourselves on that stuff. We're very individualistic culture, and it's seeped into the church. We become very individualistic in the church as well. And so when we read this text about praying, we can acknowledge that there's certainly a personal aspect to this. God's kingdom people are praying people. But something we can easily miss is that Jesus' model for prayer has a corporate and community nature to it. Notice, look back over it again. Notice what he says. Our Father, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us, deliver us. So Jesus' model for prayer includes the our and the us, and it's important for us to be reminded of that because it, it calls us to realize that we're a part of something much bigger, a people, a redeemed and restored kingdom people. And so this is a call to the community of kingdom people to be praying with and praying for one another as family. Prayer is one of the most significant things that unites us together, that brings us together as family before the Father. And so when we take our risen Lord's words seriously, we recognize that we're not called to live life alone. We're called to be in community with one another. We're called to share in moments of suffering and moments of rejoicing. To cry with those who've lost a baby in miscarriage and at the same time celebrate with those who've brought a new baby into this world. As God's people, as God's family, then let us encourage one another and help one another to go to the Father. And we can go on behalf of one another when we're just not sure someone can make it on their own. The Christian life is not a solo endeavor. I'm much more likely to go to the gym and work out if I go with somebody else. If I know somebody else is going to be there, if they're encouraging me to go, they're walking with me in that if they kind of show me the ropes, help me out, spot the weight that I'm going to lift. And so I want to encourage you today to open up your life. Share it with those around you. Share your life with someone else and go to the Father with and on behalf of one another. He is our Father and we are His people. This is why corporate praying is so important. It's the family of God coming together before the Father and it's an opportunity to foster deep unity 
between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and I long to be a praying pastor. It's something in my life that I don't feel like I do in the way that God has called me to do. I struggle with that, just being a praying pastor. I long for God to develop more of that within my heart and, and other pastors at this church to be praying pastors. And I long for this gospel community to be a praying people. I want to see us praying with and for one another in community groups. That we take time each week to, to break off as men and women maybe and just to listen to one another's lives. Not, but not just listen, but actually pray for one another. I want to see us praying together before service on Sundays and, and some of us hanging around after the service on Sunday and praying with our brothers and sisters as we process the sermon, as we process life together. I want to see us coming together every month for family prayer. Every month we gather together to pray together as a church. I, want us to, I long for us to see that as an invaluable part of our lives as individuals and as a church. So I long for revival to come, to see God bring revival to the city, to bring revival to this church, to bring revival into your life and my life where we need it. But that's only going to come through prayer. Revival is not something we work up. It's something we pray down. So if we want to see our city come to know Jesus, if we want to see the nations come to know Jesus, if you want to see God work in your life and transform your life, that's going to come through prayer as we unite together in prayer together. How do we become a praying people? We have to believe that we are desperate for our Father, desperate for His power, desperate for His presence in our lives and in our church and in our world and believing that all of it is for His glory and for our good. We're going to come to the table now. And this is an important uh, moment in the life of, of the church. It's important in your life as a believer. It's a reminder that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. It's a reminder that we're a part of God's family, which manifest, manifests itself in and through the local church. We are blood-bought brothers and sisters. We are a family together. But it's also a reminder of what Christ did for us. See, Jesus is the true bread of life. He is our greatest provision of daily bread. And so the bread we come to eat this morning is a symbol of the fact that our unity with one another and our union with Jesus came through his body being broken for us. And the cup we drink today is a symbol of the cost of that unity and union that Jesus' blood was shed for us. And so as we eat and drink together, we do so as a family. And so my hope for you this morning is that God will refresh your soul and remind you that you can come before the throne of grace in time of need to the Father because Jesus has made a way for you to do that. And as you come, knowing that the Father loves you immensely, as you eat and drink this morning, maybe that be what's on your mind, that God loves you immensely. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, I would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take communion. And the reason for that is because this doesn't, this doesn't do anything for you. This is a testimony, a declaration that communion preaches. It preaches the gospel. It's saying, I'm desperate for Jesus. And so if you don't yet know Christ, then I don't want you to come forward. I want you to take Jesus today. I want you to take Christ, that you would sit in your seat and pray, God, I need you. I recognize that I've been trying to live life on my own and it's not working out. I'm desperate for you. Will you save me today? believing that Jesus died on the cross for you, took on your sin and your punishment, and then God raised him from the dead three days later. If that's where you find yourself, I want you to start that relationship with Jesus today. He is willing and wanting. So come to him. Come to him and just pray in your seat. 
If you have questions about what that means to know and follow Christ, would you let somebody around you know? Would you go to a community group this week? That's why this church is here. We want you to experience God's grace, and we want to journey with you in that. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to two tables in the back and tear off that piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Good God, we come before you this morning. Father, we come before you this morning and we give you thanks. But the reason we can come before you is because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, we praise you that you've made a way. And we thank you that you care about every detail of our lives. You care about every intricate thing going on in our hearts and our lives right now. And so, Father, I pray that you would make us a praying people that we would be a people marked by prayer and people that when we pray, we're praying for your glory. We're praying for our good and we're doing it together. Father, would would you just change us and transform us that as we walk out of this place that you would compel us to come before you and that we would recognize that we can run to you in everything. Would you bring healing where there needs to be healing, both physically and spiritually this morning? Would you bring restoration where there needs to be restoration in relationships and and the brokenness of our lives this morning. We lift these things up to you. We come before you and plead that you do this work. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see prayer as invaluable. And as we pray, that you would bring about revival. Bring about revival in this city. Bring about revival in this church. Bring about revival in our own lives. That we might live for your glory and for the good of others. Father, we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness and your grace. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.